You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. Hello, folks. This is Chris from the Couch Potatoes, bringing you a bonus episode with my friend Chris D. Phillips. Thank you for being on the show today. We're gonna go through a little list of uh, movies based on real real events and people. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while um, off off mic, and we've made a kind of comprehensive list that we will not go through. There's uh, no way, <laughs> no way in hell. But these are just some of our favorites. Uh, just movies based on true stories that uh we really love watching and some of us just like obsess over mm-hmm. just a little bit just just, a, just little. a little bit and to go over one that is loved by a lot of people the one that started this list the one that started this list tombstone starring val kilmer kurt russell uh bill paxton rest in peace mm. uh, sam elliott uh and a plethora of other motherfuckers yes. that, that really do it well uh, mm-hmm. michael Bean, as ringo uh powers booth and quite a few others uh diana delaney yeah diana delaney uh hotter than sin i think would be the perfect <laughs> term for that yes but uh yeah going into tombstone real quick but best western of all time i can't but agree yeah right up there mm-hmm Right up there with uh, a million ways to die in the West, <laughs> and Rio Bravo. I don't like. I don't like uh, John Wayne. I know, but Rio Bravo is uh, my favorite for childhood reasons. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a pale rider. Fistful of dollars. Mm-hmm. Fucking just—is that a preacher? No, that's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, that's that's Clintus with the devil showing up to blow your fucking head off. Yeah, but no, this one was this. Just a, such a great movie. It is. It really, truly is. It was Kurt Russell in his fucking prime. He was just do. He just came out of the eighties, doing all his fucking best movies. The Thing. Uh, oh, what was the other one? Uh, thing. There was The Thing. Mm-hmm. There was Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Then he did those comedies uh, with uh, Goldie Hawn. Did a couple of those. And then in the 90s, he had Tango and Cash. Soldier came out after 2000. And this one was right in the 2000, or the 90, 1990s range. Mm-hmm. Just fucking fantastic movie. Yes. And you could not, could not remake this cast. No. As good as it was. <laughs> There's no way. Even if all of them were still with us, you couldn't remake this. Yeah. Re- yeah. That's why I feel bad about Val Kilmer, man. And he just fucking went downhill so quick and he had some fantastic movies yes uh some of his movies just just alone were just out of this fucking world mm-hmm. even like the b-list ones you never heard of were really good yeah like uh, the salt and sea and shit like that it was a fucking fantastic movie but yeah tombstone is the story of uh wyatt earp and his brothers mm-hmm. and uh their weird buddy doc holiday <laughs> yes and the city itself tombstone yeah uh they do get some you know facts wise there they, there are some stretching yeah the hollywood takes its interpretations also uh, uh a big one that kind of that kind of gets really overdone is the sheriff Bean guy sheriff behan yeah uh, he's played kind of like a pussy in the movie but in real life he wasn't mm-hmm. 
uh, in real life, he killed two of those cowboys mm-hmm. uh, very badly, like in a brutal way. Yeah. Um, and they don't really show his turn in the movie. And it, and it kind of, and when you know it, it kind of fucks the movie up for you a little bit, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. But yeah, just this, this is one of those movies me and you could quote from beginning to end. Yes. But it's so perfect. It's such a perfect fucking Western. I can't recommend it enough for people. We had it on, uh, it's one of the first few DVDs we earned, uh, owned first mm-hmm. uh do you remember when the first time you saw it was i to be honest with you no because it just seems like it was always there yeah i i remember like the predator movie <laughs> i remember the first time that we watched it my uncle video taped it off of hbo yeah and we had it on two vhs tapes Damn, double <laughs> and it was uh hbo did the thing where they showed the first half and then they did the little intermission thing where they had the clock running on hbo mm-hmm. when it was when the other half was going to start yeah and uh my uncle taped it and the end of the tape had that thing on it where it had the part where it had the little clock at the end because yeah, he had fell asleep ago, yeah. I think they stopped doing that because of the uh, people were just pirating movies off HBO. Yeah, which, I mean, technically he was. But I remember watching it, and I remember it was one of those things where you respect Wyatt Earp in the movie, but Doc Holliday's your favorite, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, just just the what the swagger he has throughout the whole fucking movie. Yes. His opening scene is a robbery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's... he's technically a bad guy throughout the whole entire oh yeah, movie there's nothing there's nothing really redeemable about him except for that one line uh which happens after the major shootout where they kill powers booth uh spoiler alerts for a movie from a 90s yeah but uh he's coughing his fucking guts out and they're like why are you doing this and he's just like why there's my friend the other guy says i got lots of friends and he says, and he's like I don't. I don't great fucking line and it kind of justifies his whole character throughout the whole movie yeah and then to me another time where he's justifiable as far as helping out and it's that's one of the things about this movie it has so many redeeming qualities as far as a storyline a plot line and a storyline yeah. goes that's the great thing about like a true story is you know especially about someone who's like over the top heroic yeah and as a figure of the old west he's kind of small like yeah white herb and in, in all intents and purposes is a small character. Yeah, in he's the, a drop in the bucket of the wild, wild west. Yeah, like uh, if you did a movie about like Bass Masterson or something like that, mm-hmm. or you know that that'd be a crazy ass fucking story mm-hmm. to tell. It'd be damn near impossible. You know, uh, Clint Eastwood did Outlaw Josie Wells, but that was just a short, like my, small movie. Yeah. But some of these characters, like just like you could do a movie about the whorehouses, like just one whorehouse, just pick one. Yeah. And their crazy ass fucking story of how they settled the west mm-hmm. their way. You know. Yep. And I'm just waiting for a really good Donner Party movie. <laughs> just a really good one. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Oh God, with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins would do it well. Julianne Moore as Mrs. Donner. <laughs> yeah, our fake casting. Yes, but, but yeah, we, we can't we can't say more enough about the Old West movie. This one though, but no, this. There's, we could probably do a whole list of westerns we love because that that's that's got to be bonus content for the show. And, oh, absolutely! And that's what this episode is, guys. This is a bonus episode for everybody. Um, just have on the back burner for you. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and uh, pick another. We made a quite a large list, so we're just cherry picking what we like. Honestly, I'm gonna I'm not gonna go in order. I'm gonna jump. Yeah. And I am going to pick 
Oh, why not? Conspiracy. Oh, great movie. <laughs> Saturn shit. Yes. But uh, a conspiracy is the tale of how uh, a handful of guys for the Nazi party came up with the final solution. It is uh, the Vonsei Conference. Yeah. One of the things that... One of the reasons why... And it's terrible to say I like this movie, but I like the way they do the movie. The movie is extremely well done. And it's well done because this is a blunder in history for the Nazi party that turned into an extremely well done movie. Yeah. One of the things that this comes back to bite them badly when the Nuremberg trials happen, mm-hmm. because the me- the minutes from this meeting are supposed to be destroyed by everybody. They get they take the me- they take the minutes from the meeting, and they record them on paper recording tapes, and then they get written into a transcript, and everybody gets a copy of the transcript. And all the people that attend this meeting get their transcript copies, and then after they read them, they're supposed to be either memorized or whatever, but then they're supposed to be destroyed. No evidence. No evidence. There's one idiot. Martin Luther is his name that comes to this event, and he does not destroy his notes, his minutes from the meeting, and they find them after the war. And they use his notes from the meeting and his minutes from the meeting at the Nuremberg trials. And also, they use his copy of the notes in the meeting minutes to make this movie script. So when they're actually up there talking, they are literally saying their lines from the script from the minute notes from from the meeting. And another thing to re- to relate it to Tombstone, you couldn't remake this cast. No, uh, you had Kenneth Branagh, mm-hmm. uh, Colin Firth, yep, uh, Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some no name actors at the time, but are big now. Tom Hiddleston. Yep, Tom Hiddleston shows up for a minute. Uh, but yeah, just a, a grand cast throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a, a couple of outliers in this movie that really played the character kind of a little too perfect, a little bit. As we've said, like me and you've talked about this, British people are really good at playing Nazis. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad. And they're really, like, they're really <laughs> fucking crisp. Yeah. Like, like I will say that they're fucking crisp yeah. when they go to play these motherfuckers. But uh, there is a uh, what I really loved about the film is their take at the very end, mm-hmm. where you have Stanley Tucci's character and Kenneth Branagh, uh, the two main guys of the meeting, the biggest people in the Nazi party at that meeting. Uh, Stanley Tucci plays uh, Eichmann. Yep. And Kenneth Branagh plays Reinhard Heydrich. Uh, me and you, not long ago, had went to the theater and saw a movie about Adolf Eichmann. Yep. Uh, starring Ben Kingsley. Which is actually also on this list, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally. Uh, but um, but it's about his end. Mm-hmm. Um, from South, Amer- South America. Um, but... There's a there's Stanley Tucci talking about like this brutal fucking thing. It's a, it's analogous analogous story, kind of like a psalm or something like that, where a man is uh, who hates his dad and is beaten by his dad. Everything his mom dies, he doesn't shed a tear, but when his dad dies, he just can't hold it. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like after you kill after everyone you hate is dead, what's left? Yeah. And it's a great analogy of just like there's always someone else to take the blame mm-hmm. with like this kind of situation and 
it, it worked perfectly throughout the whole movie. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, and what's what I really love about this movie is it could be a play. Yeah. Because it, it's only set in one room. Anything outside of that room is just speculation. Mm-hmm. Maybe eyewitness testimony talked about the servants or something like that. But anything outside of that little room they're in is just conjecture. Yeah. So it adds to the movie to a little bit. But it's very claustrophobic when they're all talking about this horrific thing that will eventually become the Holocaust. Yeah. And they've already started, but this is before the ramp up. Yeah, this is the the final decision of to of yeah. exactly how they're going to yeah. do it. The other thing that messes with me so much about this movie is, like you said, when they're at the table, there is no emotion at the table. The only person that has emotion at the table is uh, Colin Firth's character. And what what he's emotional about, which is another thing that just lights my rockets more than anything about this, he's emotional about the fact that his laws that he's helped make are being ignored. Yeah. And superseded. Yeah. Nobody's mad at the fact that they're literally making a decision about how to destroy an entire race of people. Or an entire group of people. The best, most uh, money-saving, easy-on-their-soldiers type of way to destroy an entire group of people. And the emotionless way that they that these individuals deliver it as actors is uncanny to watch. Yeah, it's, it's very robotic. It's yeah. very um, sociopath. Yeah. Every one of them at the table is a sociopath. There, yeah. are, there is a little bit of shock and awe. On a few people's faces. Colin Firth actually kind of sneaks it in a little bit because you're thinking, okay, he's not down with the whole thing until he's just like, if we make it legal, the world would understand. Yeah. And it's a very cold-hearted bureaucracy kind of statement that we won't, we don't want to look bad doing this, even though it's the worst fucking thing possible. But if we prove that we had you know, a legal right to do so, we're golden. Yeah. And it's fucking horrific yeah you're you're holding like chris said spoilers for a movie from way back but you're holding out hope for colin first character because he's fighting so hard and there is another character at the table uh dr Chrisinger, and he's mad because he got told that this was not going to happen yeah that something else was going to come up there was going to be another way and then when he gets here he realizes he's been lied to by everybody, including Hitler. And well, it makes it, he realizes he's obsolete. Yeah, he basically just sits back and he's like, I've been I've been lied to by everyone around me and I'm just going to have to... I can't rebel against it. I'm just going to have to go with it and just accept it. But like of all those movies, this is probably one of those that slip under the radar very quickly. Yes. You know, it, this wasn't a lot of fanfare on this movie. This is a movie for people who knew what they wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot, you know, talk about it. Uh, when we talk about movies like, you know, World War II era and the Holocaust and stuff like that, I think this is probably one, you know, top 10, mm-hmm. easily top five. Uh, for me, uh, probably number one or two for you. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it is not just playing it up but it's how accurate it is. Yeah. And that's very important when you're trying to tell, you know, a true story. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of the few most accurate movies you could tell about history, mm. period. Uh, but yeah, going on to another one. I'm going to bring this up because it is so off base. Uh-oh. 
JFK. <laughs> I knew you were going to do I just, I, uh, saw, I saw your eyes glaze over. I uh, just knew it. <laughs> yeah, glaze over and the, and the devil took over. Uh, so for those who don't know. Uh, Chris hates the movie JFK. I do. <laughs> I, however, I love the movie, but for a completely different reason. Yeah, so Kevin Costner plays the lead uh Lead attorney. Jim Garrison. Jim Garrison. Now, now you're going to have to agree with me. Kevin Costner plays him very well. I've been asleep all my life. Three years. Three years. I've been asleep for three years. <laughs> the problem I have with this movie is Oliver Stone and Oliver Stone's history of America, according to Oliver Stone, is batshit insane. <laughs> now, look, you, you can't say I'm wrong. Kevin Costner does an amazing job. There's so many, there's so many, there's so much A-list talent. You can't, you can't watch this movie for 30 seconds without running across okay. A-list talent. Let's go over some of the talent. Okay. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Uh, Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman as uh, Mr. Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner. Uh, I'm trying to remember the one who played his wife. I was just trying to think but of her name, anyway, too. anyway, this fucking... Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek. This goddamn movie... I get it. There is a conspiracy that killed the president. We don't know the answers. And this is a true thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And this guy blames homosexuals for killing the president. What the fuck? (laughs) He doesn't just blame them, but it's a big fucking part of it. Joe Pesci, though, playing the guy who knew Oswald previously in an earlier life. Yeah. It's goddamn hilarious. He, I, I, that's another one of them. I'm sorry. I have watched footage because I have gone down the rabbit hole of the JFK conspiracy thing. I have seen actual footage of the person that Joe Pesci plays. Yes. I have seen them interview him and talk to him. He looks just like him. The the, the props people set him up very well, costume-wise and With everything. With the power eyebrows, yeah. He looks just like him. He acts just like him. He's talking just like him. He does qu- a, quite a good job of an interpretation of him. Kevin Costner does a good job, I think. Oh, no, he he's a fantastic actor in this movie. Yes. This movie probably made his career, uh, in a way. Uh, in a way, yeah. Yeah. Right up over like Tin Cup. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, everybody loves that fucking and, movie. And in, it's better than that one where he built the baseball field for ghosts. <laughs> My other, the other part of this movie that I really, really like is... The blatant racism? No. 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 The part of this that I actually really like is when they're actually doing the trial part of it. Yes. Because the trial setup is actually really interesting to me. Because when you go back and you look at it in real life, at the real evidence with the real trial and everything. Because that's the part they don't cover in the movie. Because that's what's messed up. In the real movie... In the movie, they don't tell you how he loses the trial. Yeah. Because, spoiler alert, he loses the trial. Big shocker there. He loses the trial. All they say is he loses. But, what they they tell you at the end of the movie, when they're rolling the credits at the end, is that the National Committee on Assassinations rules that they believe there was a conspiracy... To have JFK assassinated along with Martin Luther King Jr. They don't say how. They don't say why. They don't give you any details on that. But 
that's just in the movie. Yeah, so the the committee on assassination is mind-boggling uh, because yeah. a lot of this came out later in 68, 69 mm-hmm. when Coretta Scott King approached the government about uh, the man who allegedly killed her husband. And she's yeah. like, that guy didn't kill my husband, you goddamn animals. <laughs> and she won. Yeah. And that's how the whole thing comes crumbling down. Which you can hear on the episode of History We Forgot, The Assassinations of the 60s. Yes. yes. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Uh, but this movie is just so over the top. It really it, it really is over the but top. But it's an Oliver Stone movie, so I kind of understand. But that's what I hate about Oliver Stone movies. They're really, really good, but they are so all fucking based from the truth. <laughs> like, if you're going to do a biopic, I can't have, you know... Dick Cheney with robot arms. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's too over the top. <laughs> but there's a movie. That, fun fact, coming up, there will be a movie about Dick Cheney that we that I watched that is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a fun watch. It's from 1991. It's a little dated a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, you had people like Ed Asner, John Candy's in it. Mm-hmm. Fucking like just uh, Jim Garrison himself is in it. Yeah. Uh, Lori Metcalf from fucking Roseanne. She's in it. Mm-hmm. And just just a, so, a whole plethora of fucking people are in it that are just fantastic to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I recommend it to anyone who wants to watch just any biopic that's just batshit crazy. To, to you, me. You take it with a grain of salt, though. Absolutely. One of the things for me about it was the first time I watched it. I dad had me watch it because i did that thing where i came home from school and i said they told us at school that lee harvey oswald shot john f kennedy bull fucking shit dad's like we got a movie you gotta see yeah he's a lot calmer than i would have been i watched it and then it turned me into really now i gotta research yeah so that I i wait for my nieces to get to that age when they learn about jfk in school and they're like lee harvey oswald killed kennedy you're goddamn right he did It just been like wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. You're goddamn right. Three shots at 250 feet at a moving target. He was a marine. And I'm just like, just, just blatantly army. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just brutally talk about it. Just like, oh yeah. Nah, that's not true. The aliens, aliens killed Kennedy. They used their phasers and made him commit quantum suicide. Like from Mars attacks. From Mars attacks. It's just more brutal. Yes. All righty. Let me see. We're such a large list. It is a We're, we won't get through this whole list. This, this, this is going to be a part two bonus. It's, it's a very large list. I'm torn between two. All right. Braveheart. Oh, the two and a half hour long epic <laughs> that is Mel Gibson's career. I'm sorry. Mel Gibson is such a problematic human being. But he is, but like... I love you Braveheart You separate the art from so the artist. Much. You know what I'm saying? I love Braveheart so much. And I love Kevin Spacey movies. God damn it. I do too. <laughs> but I, fuck. I can't. I yeah, can't. Yeah. I love Kevin Spacey movies. Kevin Spacey is a horrible human being that exists movie, on this earth. I watched this movie at a young age, and I fucking shouldn't have. Same. Uh, and Same. this was such... This was that go-to like TNT movie on like a Wednesday. Yes. Like, you know, you're just, just like, I don't want to go to school. You get wake up at morning, watch The Price is Right. Your parents are like, I don't give a fuck. You stay out of school. And then it's like, what's what's this? It's Oh, it's Braveheart or TNT or no, TBS. Or, or, or for at our house, it was, we're all hanging out on the weekend. And dad's tired of us watching Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse. How can you get tired of watching Roadhouse? Because all the girls in the house just wanted to watch Patrick Swayze. I don't know. Roadhouse is a man's movie, too. 
But mom's argument was, all right, we'll split the difference. All of us girls will stare at Mel Gibson in Braveheart, and you can watch the battle scenes in Braveheart. This is probably one of those first movies I realized, like, when you watch it, like, how large scale production had to be. Yeah. Like, I'll give it to Mel Gibson. Production, he's all about production value. Mm-hmm. All about having authentic, you know, costumes, authentic, you know, He's very detail-oriented. Yeah. Um, when he did Passion of the Christ, that's a very detailed movie. Yeah. It's a horror movie yeah, by is. any other standards. It and really I, is. And uh, we've talked about it on uh, Couch Potatoes before, uh, that the part two may be coming out. Um, uh, listen to the episode. We'll talk about it. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, I think it's going to be... Literally. I think it's when he finds the Easter Bunny. I'm really hoping it's the Mormon <laughs> version where he comes to America. I, I just sat down my cup very heavily if yeah. you didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole story about revenge. Yeah. And it's one of the best movies about revenge. I mean, it really is. Like, you can't beat this story. You know, this guy, he leaves his childhood home with Brian Cox. <laughs> yeah. Comes back, meets a girl he knew when he was a child, takes back his family farm area, integrates himself back to society, with these people he's learned the world mm-hmm. he's not dumb he's very tactful and well-read and he doesn't quite fit but he just wants to be happy and be left alone yeah and he's he's ready to settle down mm-hmm. and this came out like the same time like the highlander and shit so there was a lot of movies with like big you know uh uh you know production range when it came to scenery and stuff like that yeah um and the way they do Scotland and the the preamble with uh, the King of Edinburgh doing the narration mm-hmm. throughout the movie is perfect. Yeah. Because he's the witness of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, if you look up the story of William Wallace, it is very, you know, fanaticized a little bit. It yeah, is they, fantastical. They do take some, li- they take quite a few liberties in the movie Braveheart, too. There's a lot of myth yeah. th- that goes along. Uh, but... It doesn't really take away from the movie as much as like JFK. Yeah. Like this movie was very straightforward at what it needed to be done. Mm-hmm. I need a rebel to cause a rebellion. Mm-hmm. You establish a country from disorder. Yeah. And that's what it did. Mm-hmm. It told that story. Everything else is just icing on the fucking cake. Yeah. From the queen to the prince to the king himself. And what names? William Wallace, cool fucking name. That's a that's a comic book character. Go ahead and do it because I know you're going to fucking Longshanks. <laughs> what? If, if, this is this is what we talked about in the episode we just recorded. If you're going to name a, a villain, villain. Yeah. <laughs> give him a name, you know, because this is the same guy who played Judge Noose. Yep, in a time to kill. Yep, this guy plays perfect villains in every movie. Speaking of Kevin Spacey, yeah, speaking- I was wrong. It is my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Just oh, oh, a southern cotillion asshole. But yep. if only it was the true story. But <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> movies based on books will be next. <laughs> Speaking Needful of things. another, fi- that, join All us. Of join us then in our fifteen part series. <laughs> <laughs> but with uh, but with this one, it was so kind of visceral a yeah. little bit because there's like subtle things that you notice when you watch it like the thirteenth time. Especially the what I love is. Uh, they allude to the Prince of England being gay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, his dad chucks his buddy, his battle buddy, out of fucking window. Yeah. Uh, 
But there is a one line of dialogue when uh, William Wallace is, you know, coming down the mountain to sack York, the second largest city in England. Mm-hmm. And the guy is freaking out. The guy that's in charge of York is freaking the fuck out. And he says one line that you got to catch. He's like, I know which one you're talking about. Am I going to ask my cousin, the sodomite, to help me? Ooh. And I'm just like, holy shit, how did I miss that? And it's just like, they know. It's open fucking secret that this basically fairy ain't going to do shit. But his dad will. His dad had to come back. Had to come home early from work. Had to come early from work. Because he was invading <laughs> France. Everybody forgets that part. He was invading France. Yeah. The whole time. He's like, I came back from expanding my empire. Could come home to this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he's such a fantastic villain. He is. He really, truly is. When he starts talking about like the Scottish people and degradating them a little bit, you know, just just enough, he's like, the problem with Scotland is it's full of Scots, and prima nocta, <laughs> the lighting of the match to set this whole thing ablaze was a duke or lord had a right to a wife the night on their wedding night. Yeah, fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. It's said jokingly in an Avengers movie, actually, yeah. in Age of Ultron, which is hilarious. Yeah. Thor Daddy Jr. says it. Yeah, and it's perfect. When he's going to try to lift Thor's hammer. Yeah. I will be reinstating Prima Nocta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. But the fucking... I could go a whole fucking episode just talking about this movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but I, my favorite scene in this movie is after his wife is killed, he goes to turn himself in. And he has his hands up behind his head. He's riding on a horse into town slow. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you've never seen the movie, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, he doesn't foreshadow it at all. No, this is dad's favorite scene, too. This is, he's riding, and a guy grabs the reins, a, a British soldier grabs the reins. But he has a very sympathetic look on his face. Like they know what, what, why he's, what, what's happened. Yeah, but the soldier, in all intents and purposes, looks like an innocent man. Like the way they, they made him look his, his face and everything. And then Mel Gibson's face goes from just melancholy to hate. Mm-hmm. And he bashes that dude's head in immediately. With a mace. With a mace. And, and he just, it, there's a tear through the fucking village. And that's what it is. It's a small hobble village. No different mm-hmm. from like the hobbits. Like yeah. that's what they, they're, you know, mud huts. And he is tearing ass through that mm-hmm. goddamn village just to get to that fort. And every guy in town is like, we're back in his play. You know, it's, it's no different from Tombstone. It's just like, we're going to light these motherfuckers up. Because they've all had to deal with it too. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite actors is in this movie. He's in. He's a lot of B-list stuff. Uh, the guy with the cuts on his face, the, the real one life. from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and just that's. It's all about him and William Wallace, and they are just tearing ass through this. And they get to the very top, the very tippy top, and burn it to the ground. And William Wallace is like, "We're done. What's fair is fair." Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to go no further. Yeah. But he's ramped these guys up. No, let's not stop until we get to the fucking top. And it's like, ah, oh, god damn it. Yeah, I guess. Okay. And it's just yeah. like, let's burn it all down. And it's very the story of Charles Manson. It's just like <laughs> where he ramped all these fucking women up. They're like, well, Charlie, now we got to go kill the pigs. He's like, oh, well, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you. 
all right, let's go kill the pigs. And it's just I like, and that's, and that's the true story of Charles Manson, this fucking lackadaisical idiot. But <laughs> this, this is the fucking, the movie that set off like all the other ones. Yeah. When it came to giant battles at this scale, Peter Jackson mm-hmm. was next. And then you had Lord of the Rings, you had Kingdom of Heaven, you had 300, Zack Snyder, you know. Mm-hmm. This was the first one. Yeah. And it was very important to be made. You know, you had ones before that, like Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that, and Zulu and Shaka Zulu mm-hmm. and all that. But nothing to this. Yeah. Nothing as like. Nothing to the scale. Yeah, nothing yeah, not to the scale and in depth, in depth on a true character. And, mm-hmm. and it's and it's very fantastic. Like, it's right up over like Ten Commandments mm-hmm. when it's talking about scale. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's just a fun movie. I love that movie. What's your next one? Your turn. Oh, oh that that's was right. my pick. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, let me not take a sip uh, yeah. of chai tea latte well, until I hear this. Uh, no, I don't know. I might I might just be excited or be aggravated. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what you pick. Ooh, there's so many good ones. I tell you what, I'm going to pick the greatest sports movie ever made, A League of Their Own. I agree with you. 100,000%. That, that is the greatest sports movie ever made. I don't give a yes. fuck what anyone else has to say. That is the best movie. One, it's about America's pastime and yes. it's about women doing it yes. when every guy is like trying to kill a nazi and a japanese man absolutely <laughs> it's it's such a great movie i grew up watching this on tnt me too a lot of these movies were on tnt <laughs> yes, they really were. bring back tnt you kids <laughs> hashtag bring back tnt <laughs> anybody younger than the age of 30 is really, is, really is looking miss- at looking at their phones going what is what is tnt anyone bored anyone younger than 30 is really missing out on the golden age of mm-hmm cable television when tnt was like the poor man's hbo yes and ted turner was just like i need remember star wars would be on there all the time Mm -hmm. yeah so fuck everyone else's streaming service tnt was the place that go and then uh that and fresh prince miller oh god what was his name the uh when they had the horror movie nights and the the guy would be in the little uh rv outside oh yeah bob something or other yeah bob he um he moved to shutter he's still going Still going. I saw Edward Scissorhands for the first time on TNT. Oh, cool. Fucking fantastic. But no, this, this is such a fun movie. It really is. Mm. So, yet again, another cast you couldn't pick. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Madonna. Madonna. Tom Hanks. Rosie O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Lovitz. Yep. Such a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best part Bill of Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. How did we forget Bill Pullman? We talked about it on Independence Day because I mean, he's a, he's a he's a lower <laughs> cast member on this one. Yeah. Tom Hanks though, Tom yes. H- another great Tom Hanks movie. Very few bad movies this man makes, mm-hmm. uh, and especially when it comes to like true stories. When Tom Hanks does true stories, they're very well done. Oh yeah, because uh, you know, for those who don't know, Tom Hanks was very involved in the story of Band of Brothers. Uh-huh. Very well involved with Gary Sinise doing that. Gary Sinise, who's his best friend with Spaceman Legs. Uh, <laughs> Man Lakes. Uh, you know, the Apollo 13 movie. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's such a good movie. Um, I don't think that's even on our list. But like, <laughs> we we, we got, got too that. excited with like the first stack. Yeah, we got for, <laughs> the first 25 really just came pouring out. Mm-hmm. But with A League of Their Own, I've talked about it before um, uh, on an earlier low backlogged episode of uh, Couch Potatoes uh, about sports movies. But like this to me is the greatest sports movie. Mm-hmm. Um, for three reasons. It tells a true story very accurately. Mm-hmm. The casting and the ups and downs of the movie 
really work well. Yes. The, when you have uh, parts of the uh, movie where uh, the one of the young ladies is getting a letter saying her husband died mm-hmm. and she has to leave. That's terrible. Yeah. The upswing, though, is the tension between Gina Davis and her sister in the movie. Mm-hmm. That really makes the movie mm-hmm. because they're just trying to get out. And at the very end of the movie, we see the real people. Mm-hmm. These old school, great generation women, older than hell, I will say that. Yeah. On the field at the Baseball Hall of Still Fame. Still playing. And playing the game. And that's the best thing about this movie because you never get that in another movie like this. Yeah. They, they're just so fantastic from beginning to end because it's such it's, it's kind of like a slapstick comedy a little bit in the beginning with John yeah. Lovitz and Gina Davis and he's just like I'm just trying to get a bitch to play baseball you <laughs> know just get the fuck on the train yeah and she's like well my sister and like I don't want her I want you and Gina Davis is fantastic in this movie yes she is and she still got it you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying uh, <laughs> the last time I saw her was in the Exorcist show <laughs> yeah but uh, and Tom Hanks again just fucking perfect yeah he, he just plays this off the wall drunk just trying to get his shit right he's too old to go to fucking war he can't really do anything else except talk about baseball or coach baseball and he's just so flabbergasted that it's girls mm-hmm. it's just yeah. like a weird fucking accent he has it is it is all sponsored by a goddamn candy company yeah <laughs> and like you said some of the other people in the movie madonna rosie o'donnell just you know mm-hmm. these walk-on characters who are just doing a fantastic job yeah and and they play it up so well because you know that's how these people were back then. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it fits perfectly. Uh, Marla Hooch, what a hitter. <laughs> I love it so oh, much. Oh, it, it is such a fun movie. And one of the things that I love about it so much is not only Does that... Pass, I was kind of curious if it passes the Bechdel test, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, one of the things that I always loved about it, aside from the fact that it's all these powerhouse women playing these powerhouse women... Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did some digging one a while back into Gina Davis for this movie. She played for real in the movie. Yeah. And so did Madonna. So did Rosie O'Donnell. All of them actually played in the movie. Yeah. They really, they didn't have stand-ins. They really did play. And Gina Davis said that this is one of her favorite movies to do. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's probably her best movie, I think. Like, in my opinion, this is probably this and Long Kiss Goodnight were probably her best movies. <laughs> I, I'd have to agree with you for sure. Yeah, like that, uh, they, they, this was a very fun movie. Uh, you, you can tell they're playing. Mm-hmm. You could tell. I just love like the little quips in the movie. Yeah, that just come out of fucking nowhere. Where they're all trying to sneak out to go get a drink and go have mm-hmm. a good time. And then you have people like Madonna, like just talking about like when they're just trying to like spitball ideas to make the game more interesting. And she's just like, "What if? <laughs> Hear me out. I, I go to you know." score at third and my tits come out and it's just like and then rosie o'donnell rosie o'donnell you think there are men in this world that haven't seen your bosoms yeah. it's fucking funny as fuck but the girl that plays her sister is a fantastic actress yeah because she played tank girl mm-hmm. i love that movie and she is very very good at what she does she yeah. had, she last appeared in um orange is the new black in that mm-hmm. show um she does a fantastic job in that. And it's like it's very visceral when they're having that conversation back and forth where it's just like, you're better than me, and I fucking know it, and I hate it. Yeah. 
that is just a fucked up thing, you know. And then it comes down to you know the very last play, bottom of the ninth. Spoiler alert! Yeah, spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Gina Davis is at the plate. You just need a run, and that's it. Game over. And she, her fucking sister hits the ball. It's called in the outfield. You know, it's it's damn near a double play if you don't know anything about baseball. Mm-hmm. And she's fucking running it. She just skips past fucking second base, goes to third, and runs to home. And everybody's like, "What the fuck's happening?" And her sister's catcher, and she's just like, "Nah." You're not getting a home plate. And boom, tackles his sister, Gina Davis. Drops, drops the, the ball. ball. She drops the ball. Yeah. And I just love that guy. <laughs> that old school vaudevillian fucking announcer. Who follows them everywhere throughout the whole oh, entire yeah. movie. Oh my God, she dropped the fucking ball. Yeah. Who's And and one of the things, that's one of the things about it. The little stuff that you see throughout this movie. The character building throughout the movie is what's so good about it. Because as you watch throughout the movie, Gina Davis's character, uh, there's a point at one point where she catches the ball, she catches an out, and she literally falls into the dugout, and the dugout's made out of concrete. Yeah, so this is, uh, for those who don't know, baseball back in the day uh, didn't give a fuck about anybody. Yeah. Uh, They didn't have railing in front of the dugout. There was Mm -hmm. no railing. There was no, there was, uh, you know, wood seating, concrete. That's all it was. Yeah. She catches the ball, and she does not drop it. No. And she gets hit all the time and slammed into people, and she never drops the ball. And this has got to be the only time in her career in the history of ever that she drops the ball, and it's her sister. Yeah. So it's one of those things where one of the one of those things. This used to be a big discussion at my house. And mom would be like, "Do you think she dropped it because it's her sister, or do you think she actually dropped it because she hit her?" And I'm like, oh, "I don't know." I think it's a combination of both. <laughs> I think she realized she got hit and just said, "Fuck it." At that time, you know, in the movie, they talk about she talks about, "Hey, I'm leaving," mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks like, "Where the fuck are you going?" Like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, you know, her husband's come. You know, she's going back to the farm. Blah 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 blah. Her husband ain't quite back yet, and you know, Tom Hanks is like, "That's my best fucking player," you know, and. It adds to the nuance of the movie. Yeah. Another, like I will say, the other favorite part of the movie, which is just like a little quip, is Madonna's character teaching that girl how to read horror books. <laughs> she's reading her smut book. Yeah, she's got a little, she's got a little smut book, and like, it Rosie, it Rosie O'Donnell. You know, this is back when Rosie O'Donnell was fucking hilarious. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And she's like, "What are you doing, Meg? I'll teach, I'll teach her how to read that." that raunchy shit and it's just like, it's like, what does it matter? She's really going. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. All right, let me see. Uh, let's go over here to the dark side a little. Mm. Oh, why not? Amityville. Oh, what a crock of shit. <laughs> I put on the list because it is based on the DeFeo family. Yes. But a fun story about the DeFeo family and this <laughs> piece of shit house that costs too much. This is like the precursor to... Uh, buying someone's story and warping the shit out of it yes because what we don't see in the amityville the original amityville horror movie and the remake with ryan reynolds later on is that couple from the conjuring who started all this bullshit they did this yeah and everything is manufactured Mm -hmm. for this story yes ronald feo killed his family yes he did the end he didn't have the devil in him. The house wasn't fucking haunted because he murdered a bunch of kids. 
He just killed some people. As horrific as that sounds, yeah, the end. He murdered him. And then they fucking ran with it. That the house had demons in it. They had Catholic priests come by. Oh, my God. We got to do this. We got to do that. And the over-fictionalization of the family that comes in afterward mm-hmm. is just icing on the cake, like I said before. It's just, it makes it for a great horror movie. Mm-hmm. But as a true story movie, it is very, like, bottom of the barrel. <laughs> like, yeah. It's on the list because it's a true story, but mm-hmm. it's also because it's a classic horror movie as well. Oh, it's a great horror movie. It's fantastic. No, it does it does make for a great horror movie for the horror movie mm-hmm. season. But as far as, like, like you said, as far as true story, eh. Now, one of the things that, that's another one of those things, like, with JFK, it sent me into... So what really happened before the Amityville horror quote quote happened? So I actually dug into what happened to the original family. Mm. And if you read his first hand account, he didn't talk about demons. He didn't talk about any or any voices no, or actually, anything that, first. That, that just comes off second hand. Yeah, that happens later. Yeah. And that happens after he finds out he might get the death penalty. And that's a great big might. Yeah. And it's because of that couple from The Conjuring and yeah. Annabelle. They, they sowed that seed into his goddamn brain. Mm-hmm. They did that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I don't want to talk about it too much more, but it was one of those movies that scared me as a kid. Yeah. Because it's so practical. There was one scene where the girl looks out and sees two yellow eyes, and it's just a mm-hmm. practical effect, and it just fucking bothered me for a little while. Yeah. Why do you the Texas Chainsaw part where he opens a silver door and it's like, <laughs> That noise. That crunch. And I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> I will tell you, and you're going to think I'm crazy. Er. This movie did not scare me. Yeah. The music did. Oh, yeah. It's an ambience movie. The music at the beginning of the movie, when you see the opening credits and it's all white and happy and all the music's all white and happy and everything, and then it all turns red slowly, and it's like the little children singing music at the beginning. That, that is terrifying. Yeah. But I, yeah. This is one of those where, where I like the remake more with Ron, uh, Ron Reynolds. I mean, I like it for obvious reasons. Yeah, but like that one was really intense because he got into it. Yes. And the wife did perfect. It's just yeah, being she did scared. a great job. She did a perfect time as being scared. But yeah, you guys check it out. You know, the Halloween season upon us and everything. This is a bonus episode, by the way, guys, again. Uh, but yeah, check out any of these movies anytime. They're they're a fun Sunday watch whenever you're off work. Just to have it play in the background. And they're so much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, Another one I'm going to go, and it's because Leonardo DiCaprio does really good at making real movies, <laughs> true stories. Gangs of New York. Mm. Have you ever seen this movie? I have not seen the whole thing. Because it's three hours long. Yeah, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen pieces. Gangs of New York is very hard to watch, but it is a perfect movie in all intents and purposes. It's based on a true story mm-hmm. uh, of the five original boroughs of New York and the gangs that ran them and the understanding they had between each other yeah uh you had the natives which were the whites the american whites mm-hmm. you had the dead rabbits which were like uh an irish first generation uh, immigrants who came over uh, uh leader copyright plays a, a first generation immigrant mm-hmm. all right so he's born in america but his dad was from ireland his dad is played by liam neeson hey his dad and gear uh not gary Owen, but uh Oh, fuck. I'm trying to forget their names. Um, but I'll come back to it. Um, but Daniel Day-Lewis, one of the scariest guys in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, for real. 
him and Daniel Day-Lewis have a knockdown drag-out fight in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, and he kills uh, Liam Neeson. Brutally. Hmm. In, a gi- in a giant gangland war. Um, they're both laying there dead. And then it becomes an honor thing where Daniel Day-Lewis is like, no one puts their fucking hands on this man's body. He died with honor by my hand. And no one will ever speak ill will of this man again. As a sign of respect, they hated each other. Mm-hmm. He hated this man because he's a Catholic Irish bug coming over. Yeah, that's that's verbatim. Mm-hmm. And he hated all of them, and so he killed their leader. And the fucking cat. This is a Martin Scorsese movie, by the way. Leonardo DiCaprio, Dio Lewis, John C. Riley, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz does a perfect fucking job. Uh, so many great actors. And this is during the time of Tammany Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, Tammany Hall was a political machine that just put out candidates and won every fucking time. Yeah. It was a money machine. Um, and it was all money made off the ports of New York. Mm-hmm. But this story is fantastic because it plays in the backdrop of the Civil War ramping up. Uh, and there's a cool scene when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio comes back to New York after seeing his father die as a child because he's put in an orphanage. So he changes his name to New Amsterdam, which is the original name of New York, mm-hmm. comes back and sees Irish men get off boats with their families. And it plays in one one unchanged shot of an Irishman being uh, uh, approached by someone from the Tammany Hall thing, handing these an Irish woman and her children some bread. It's like, groceries or whatever welcome to america and then her husband is separated from her and he's asked if, if you want to be an american you have to fight for america and he's conscripted into the union army and then it's unchanged shot like it's an like it's an assembly line you see him walk to the left or walk to the right and out of the left comes an irish guy in a union blue uniform getting back on a boat to go south and it's a very kind of fucked up backdrop mm-hmm. to the whole goddamn story, uh, but no, that it, it's very it's like any Scorsese film is highly detailed on the backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, they do take some liberties with it, but not too much. I, I you know I, five out of ten when it comes to liberties yeah. on like character development, but in the backdrop and the setting itself is a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of like watching uh you know Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. and you're like the movie could have been about QB Dune Jr. <laughs> Yeah. Could have been about that guy instead of these fake-ass people who didn't exist. I know there are several teachers that use at school that use clips of it. Yes, and it's very, very true to some of the acts. Um, One of my favorite lines, and I've said it to you before, is uh, this Irish guy who's a barber, and he's on a hill in New York, and he's got his barbershop on a hill, and he's running against Daniel Day-Lewis as, like, Alderman or whatever. And he carries a shillelagh, a mm-hmm. genuine Irish shillelagh as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And he's got notches on it of the people he's killed with this goddamn shillelagh. And he warns Leonardo DiCaprio not to kill the main bad guy. He's going to find out who you are, and then he'll really kill you. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, do you know who Bill Shakespeare is? 
<laughs> and, it, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is like, what, what the fuck are you talking He wrote the King James Bible. And I'm just like, that's the funniest <laughs> goddamn line because it's so batshit insane. It is. And it's fucking hilarious. But no, I, it's on HBO right now. I recommend anybody to go see it. It's a fantastic movie. It's one of my, it's one of those top 10 movies of all time for me, mm-hmm. even though I hate Martin Scorsese. <laughs> but it is, it is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it plays, it plays very well on the story. Uh, you see kind of like the high-end class during the riots that broke out during New York. And, the and you know, at that time, the Union Army had to be called in to quell a riot. And they fired cannons on New York mm-hmm. to the city to yeah. just quell. Or, and, you know, ballista lines of soldiers lining up and shooting motherfuckers. It, it's, it's fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, but no, top, top ten movie for me. Hmm. There's so many good ones. There are. <laughs> it's not fair. Oh. Ooh. I will take a lesser known. Okay. Ghost in the Darkness. Yes. Speaking of Val Kilmer. Yeah. Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. This was one of those uh, under the radar movies when I was a kid. Uh, TNT. Yes. God damn it, TNT. <laughs> HBO for me. HBO. Uh, yeah, it was on HBO for a very long time. Yes, I it was. Uh, but no, this is the true story of two protectorate hunters going down to kill uh, two very, very aggressive lions. Yes. Um, and this is like a conspiracy of mine mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, wildlife because what I think happened compared to what other people said happened it kind of makes sense for me. This is one of those weird conspiracies. Actually. Do you know what a Nemean lion is? I've heard of it before. A Nemean lion sure. at one time is what the Roman Empire would catch and put into the Colosseum. Mm. It's larger than a regular Serengeti lion. Mm-hmm. It's massive. Mm. Um, there is one lone photo of one. And it's considered to be the last photo ever of a Nemean lion. They're considered extinct. Yeah. But they're a special breed of lion that were called man-eaters. Like, Ghost in the Darkness talks about these two are man-eater lions. And, you know, some Serengeti, you know, uh, African plains lions will kill a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very rare that a male lion will kill a man just for, like, food. Yeah. Uh so this is this is what kind of makes the story kind of crazy. Is in my in my thinking of this, I think what they killed was a Nemean lion, mm-hmm. a very super aggressive animal that's almost extinct. That was attacking villages because it's very rare that you know big cats just randomly attack villages for food and kill people because like it's kind of like great whites and sharks. You know, Jaws is like Jaws will kill everybody in the ocean. It's like in real life, great whites will only attack you if you're really antagonizing or is very hungry mm-hmm. and it'll take a swipe at you but very rarely are you going to see someone get murdered by a fucking shark yeah even though that happens every year it's usually just one person yeah you look like a giant turtle normally it takes a nibble and then it lets you go mm-hmm. unless you really fuck with it yeah but yeah this one was a fantastic movie i actually looked this up yeah um because this is a historical thing yeah so the story is, be it true or false, the story is that there were two male lions and that they were attacking the villages or the campsites 
where they were digging in the diamond mines. And they would only attack the villages of the campsites at night. And they were carrying off individuals and they would only find the individuals skinned. Yeah. And that's actually a firsthand, a, that's a diary account. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a firsthand diary account that's actually written down. And the story is that they found the lions and they executed the lions. And that the only thing they can come up with is that those two lions got separated from a pride Mm -hmm. and just somehow got addicted to the taste of human flesh. And they weren't hunting for food. Yeah. They were hunting for fun. For sport. They were hunting for sport. And they only did it at night. And they only went to that campsite. Yeah, it's it's just a wild fucking story. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's one of those ones where you hear about, like, there was one story similar to this about a man going to, um, I think it was uh, India and going after a bear in India that attacks not only him, but another young boy of a guy who just got killed earlier that day, which was his guide. And he follows it down to the woods and is posted up and he can't move because he's been wounded. And he's waiting for this goddamn bear to show up and waiting and wait. And then he sees him. And keep in mind, this guy's kneeled against, you know, laid up against a tree, mm-hmm. his legs in a splint. If he tried to put weight on it, it would never work again. He's in a crucial pain, but he stays up the whole fucking night until he sees that son of a bitch and lures it in <laughs> and kills it. And it's a giant fucking Indian bear, yeah. like an Indian black bear. And, you know, stories like these are just kind of fascinating mm-hmm. uh, altogether. If you go on YouTube, there's actually a great documentary about the ghost in the darkness, the true mm-hmm. story. And how they did examine the uh, the remains that were inside the lions after they were killed, and found like some items that shouldn't have been in there. Like, why would it have this much food in it? It had like so much food that was already decaying, mm-hmm. like being you know um, digested, that it decided to eat again when it didn't have to. Yeah. So it like killed someone, waited just long enough not to be sluggish, and then killed someone else mm-hmm. and ate them too. You know, it didn't make sense. Yeah. But, you know, this is also long time ago. We don't know the conditions really of the Serengeti or the, you know, Sub-Sahara, you know, at the time. But it is a fascinating story. Yeah. It was one of the ones I saw later on mm-hmm. on TNT. <laughs> uh, just, just out of the blue. What the fuck is Ghost of the Darkness? It is, what a fucking title, too. Yeah. Um, another one I'm probably going to do is Black Mass. Ah, we went to the movie theater to see that one. I will say this is one of the few times where I've watched a movie and I forget someone's playing in a movie. Yeah. Johnny Depp, you know, does a fantastic job of being Whitey Bulger. He did. He really, truly did. And I'd forget it's him when watching it because mm-hmm. he doesn't look like himself. No. There's a lot of makeup and stuff involved, but even the voice, the mannerisms, the way he moves is just fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like if a shark was a person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like he is wide-eyed and bushy-tailed a lot in the movie because he's doing fucking drugs. Yeah. But like there are parts where I'm just like, you let this motherfucker get that close to you? Yeah. Like not even like in a a social sense, but like 
in a civil sense. Like, you're just walking down the street. Get the fuck away from this dude. Yeah, for real. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Johnny Depp, uh, play Brothers. God, I forgot Benedict Cumberbatch was in there. Yeah, he, play, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, he plays uh, Connolly, the uh, the uh, brother. I forgot about that. Uh, Kevin The Bacon. little more upstanding brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kevin Bacon's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fantastic actors on the up and coming end. And it is just kind of a visceral fucking movie to watch. I remember mm-hmm. me and you sitting there watching. And the only time I got tense watching that movie, there was a scene where, um, so he makes a back alley deal with an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. The FBI agent is going to tell him some stuff about the Italian mob in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll give up information regarding criminal activities. Whitey Bulger never gives up anybody. No, he doesn't have to. That, that, was the myth, that was the myth he made with the FBI. He never actually gives anybody up. Yeah. He just did it so the FBI could tell him where crim- criminals are and where he could tell him where criminals are that are fucking with his business. Yep. And at some point in the goddamn movie, the FBI agent says, hey, come on over to my house. Why did you know, come and hang out? Like a moron. Like a moron. And his wife, the FBI agent's <laughs> wife, who's the smartest person in the whole goddamn movie, mm-hmm. next to Whitey Bulger, uh, is like, you moron. <laughs> I'm not going to eat with this fucking monster, you know, in yeah. my house. So she goes upstairs. She's terrified, she and faint, rightly she, so. She feigns sickness. And Whitey Bulger, in all its purposes, is like, hey, where's your wife, John? Oh, she's not feeling well. She's under the weather. Blah, blah, blah. Let me not see. Well, let me go check on her real quick. And he does nothing. Granted, he probably couldn't do anything, but he does nothing. And he knocks on the door. And this is where I'm just like, I don't know enough about this to say, did he, does he kill her? Like, yeah, you and I were both like ramrod straight. Yeah, I'm just like, and I'm going, he's going to kill her. And I'm just like, is he going to kill the FBI, his wife, in her house in the middle of the goddamn day? During a barbecue. She cracks the door open. First mistake. Mm. Uh, she cracks the door open, and he's like, oh, I heard you're not feeling well. What? And she's like, well, and she alludes to the company I keep seems to be making me ill. And he knows. He's smart enough to realize. He ain't like the other gangsters who are just can't take a fucking hint. He knows what the fuck she's saying. Mm-hmm. And he does this thing with his hand. <laughs> he takes his hand into a straight, like, palm and guides it along the side of her face. And he's like, you don't feel hot. You don't feel like you're burning up. And at that moment, I'm just like, that's the most uncomfortable goddamn thing I think I've seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. And I've watched war crime videos. Like, it's just like this yeah. is, It made me so fucking tense. I'm just like, is he going to choke this bitch? And then he puts his hand under her chin, like a doctor would to like, you know, check your lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, Tilting her fucking head back with one hand and moving side to side, I'm yeah. just like, oh no, this is so much worse than it's going to be. And that fucking part of the movie, I'm just like, oh, that's this is this is the opening salvo. This is what the whole movie is going to be like. Yep. And then he goes off the fucking rails. Oh yeah, he loses his mind. Mm-hmm. Perfect movie. It was really good. Um, there was a scene though. That was really true that they kind of dumbed down a little bit, I think, because it would make people just stop watching the movie if they showed the true part of it. Um, there was a scene where uh, one guy 
his daughter is locked up in jail and him and Whitey go pick her up, played by Juno Temple. And she gets in the car. He's like, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? She's like, I'm fine, Whitey. You know, I just want to let you know I didn't tell anybody anything, you know. And that's the stepdaughter of the other gangster in the car. Mm-hmm. Turns out that gangster was fucking his own stepdaughter. And Whitey Bulger knew this. Mm. He was fucking her too. The problem was she knew too much. So they take her to an abandoned house and he forces the stepdad to strangle her to death. In real life, they both killed this girl. That's what they left out mm-hmm. of the movie. I knew that was true before I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I did not. When I watched that movie, I'm just like... Are they going to, is he going to do that? Because Johnny Depp, when he plays a real life person, is not going to go full tilt, kind of like you know, Leonardo DiCaprio would. Yeah. Uh, fun fact there's a new movie with Leonardo DiCaprio coming out. It's based uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Osage County Murders. Um, I recommend anyone to go watch that movie that comes out this month in October. By the time you're listening to this, please go watch that movie. It is the most disgusting part of American history when it comes to Texas. And Native Americans. So check I'm that out. I'm blinking rapidly because I have an idea of what it's about. We'll talk about it after the show. Maybe oh. we'll go to the movies and see it. Oh, God, I don't think I want to. You want to choose the next one? No. <laughs> you chose the last one. No, I have a bad history of choosing what movies we go to. Oh, come on. I'm pretty sure there's some Sister Fister movie out there. I didn't know, okay? <laughs> Long running joke on this show. Um, <sighs> but yeah, Black Mass perfect movie one of the best movies i think we've both seen in the theater in a while mm-hmm. uh granted probably a fucking horror movie if you want to say i i felt like it was a horror movie especially during that same scene you you're talking uncomfortable about. real fucking quick as a woman i'm sitting there watching this going please stop please stop please stop please stop and then when he walked out of the room i'm like oh thank god that's one of those movies <laughs> that's one of those movies i kind of would just want to go like mystery science theater on and it's like a re- yeah. redub it and be like let me touch your face <laughs> no but no, he, he does, in all intents and purposes, goes off the rails. Yeah, he does. And, you know, talking about my movies about crime, he gets caught later in life. Mm-hmm. He gets sent to West Virginia in prison. All intents and purposes, this man got away with it. Yeah, he did. He did. He got away with everything. Um, I do love a scene, though, in the very beginning, where he's walking down the street, and this old, he helps this old lady... Oh, Whitey, is that you? How you doing? By Mrs. So-and-so. And he's, he's like, I thought you were in Alcatraz. Oh, no, they, they let me out. They let me out years ago. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to see you back in the... In the, in the. And I'm just like, hey, this motherfucker went to Alcatraz. Like, this place wasn't, yeah. wasn't open for very long because of the people that were in it. And I was mm-hmm. like, they let this motherfucker out of Pelican goddamn Bay to you know, just get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Al Capone was here, you know. Yeah, oh, fuck me. And you know why? You know how he got out early? Didn't he volunteer for, uh, yeah. he volunteered, oh God, what was it? He volunteered for something, some human kind of medical exper- trial. Human experimentation regarding LSD. Yeah. He was able, so back then you could take LSD as part of an experimentation, get years knocked off, or get some time knocked off. He took so much that he was able to get let go and this motherfucker was serving like a 20 year sentence so his mind was burned down it explains a lot yeah uh 
But yeah, fantastic cast, fantastic movie, worth the rewatch. Has a lot of rewatch value. Oh yeah, uh, soundtrack was fantastic. It really was. Uh, a lot of Rolling Stones, like Martin Scorsese would do it. You know, it, it's that. It's that time era time. You know, mm-hmm. Rolling Stones being the best goddamn music on earth by then. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, choose another one. <sighs> I'm gonna go for one you don't think. Okay. Well, I was. I still am. Malcolm X. Fantastic movie. Denzel Washington. Where is Denzel Washington's Oscar? Training Day. <laughs> That's where he got it. No. But no, he should have got it for Malcolm X. He should have got it for Malcolm X. This was a perfect biopic movie of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, it's not long in the time span of JFK. Uh, a couple other biopics at that time. But Denzel Washington at his prime. Yes. And ironically, they didn't have to do much to him to make him look like Malcolm X, which is also strange. No, but there was a, <laughs> there's a, the, uh, the resting face that he has in that movie. It's, it's very structured. Uh, the, the standing still very quickly and then being angry all the goddamn time, mm-hmm. which Malcolm X was really good at. Yeah. But you rarely see him smile or blink in the movie, mm-hmm. which kind of plays up, you know, how very, how serious he is mm-hmm. during the whole performance. Um, Especially during that one scene where he's on the uh, TV show yeah. being interviewed, and it gets very, very tense for no goddamn reason. Yeah. Uh, but that scene alone deserved an Oscar, just you know, best picture at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's hard to say who who had the best picture a lot of times mm-hmm. because at the same time Malcolm X came out, I believe Godfather Part Two had come out, mm-hmm. and that's a hard movie to say isn't Oscar worthy. Especially with someone like Robert Niro and Al Pacino doing their fucking very best. Yeah, but see, my argument is Pacino should have already got his award by then. Yeah, but for Godfather 1. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, this is why I think where best picture, best actor and stuff, like, it's hard to say. If it was a people's choice kind of situation, I think that's why we have that. Yeah. You have the Academy, then you have people's choice awards. Yeah, I think, I think that's where that really comes in. Mm-hmm. But a fantastic movie, that's a... A great historical movie that's very accurate. It is. It is the, extremely to the, to the accurate. True story. One of, as messed up as it is, there's two parts of it that are my favorite. One, when he's in jail, and I believe, can't think of the actor's name. It's the same one that's the dad from Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he's a, a preacher of some fashion. He's talking about God and Jesus and everything. And Denzel Washington gets up to have a conversation with him. And they're talking about white Jesus. And there's a picture of white Jesus in the room. (laughs) And they're discussing white Jesus. The way he does it, the tone he uses, the way he talks and everything. I can't tell Denzel Washington's in the room. Yeah. He does such a good job of embodying Malcolm X there. And then as far as video and picture, the end of the movie. Um, I got to give it to Spike Lee because this is a Spike Lee joint. Yeah. To, to quote the band directly. Spoiler alert for the end of the movie. The way they do the ending is very good. They play... 
Sam cooks, a change is going to come. Yeah. When they're driving to the Autobahn ballroom. And you could not have picked a better song. And there's no sound except the music. And then they drive to the ballroom. And the only time you hear any sound is when the assassination happens. And as far as the picture and the visual of it, they do a really good job of the interpretation of it because it's very i mean i imagine the actual situation was far more graphic but the way they do it in the movie is extremely graphic but the interpretation of it with that song really got me the first time i watched it i also like the way that they give us malcolm x's life prior Mm -hmm. to him going to jail which is always interesting to me to see how that's interpreted uh, another interpretation of this was in the movie Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. which showed uh, a kind of better representation of how he got killed, mm-hmm. where an argument breaks out in the crowd, yeah. and Malcolm X steps a, 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 to the side of the dais, and is like, kind of waving down, hey guys, you know, basically saying, calm down, chill out, and that's when the two guys shoot him. Um, it's a little bit more accurate to the true story and eyewitnesses and talk about, but that is another fantastic movie about Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. but it's also got Malcolm X in there. That's really important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check out, you know, our history episode about this on mm-hmm. history. We forgot we did a deep dive on this and this is one of the reasons we brought it up. Um, but yeah, going to the next one. Uh, I got to talk about another long one Uh-oh. that I know you probably haven't seen is uh, kingdom of heaven. I have not. You've been, you've been on me for years and it's on my to watch before I die list. Yeah. <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven is... You always want to watch these three-hour epics, man. Because I, I got the time. Uh, I can either that or watch a whole fucking season of a show. Um, Whereas I... <laughs> but uh, Kingdom of Heaven is the story of the Crusades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very microcosm of the Crusades. Um, Ed Norton plays King Baldwin IV. Mm-hmm. Um, the Leper King. The King was born with leprosy who remained king of Christendom and Jerusalem, took Jerusalem from the Muslims um, and was regarded as, you know, basically a godhead on earth right there with the Pope. Um, but it also focused on a character, uh, Oliver Bloom, or no, was, um, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. It focuses on his character, Baron of Ebelin. Uh Great kind of opener. Uh, Liam Neeson and his ragtag bunch of crusaders from either Africa, uh, Romania, just a whole group of people mm-hmm. uh, rolling into this little French town. Uh, <laughs> your boy from Underworld, Michael, uh, Michael, uh, Sheen. Michael Sheen, is in it, and he plays a priest, and they're burying a girl on the side of a road. And he sees these crusaders rolling into town, and... Right before he tells to put the body in, he's like, make sure you cut off her head. She was a suicide. And they bury her. And it turns out that's Orlando Bloom's wife Mm. who committed suicide. And he's a blacksmith. And he is just pounding away at metal, getting the fire as hot as fuck. It's working himself to death. And Liam Neeson is looking for his son that he left behind in France. And it's Orlando Bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
Liam Neeson wants to have a relationship with this guy. And this is, you know, the, the, the fiction part of it, which but it still makes a very good point of it, mm-hmm. was, yeah, Crusaders had bastard children on the road to Jerusalem. Makes sense. And this was on the road to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes and finds out the guy's wife is dead, and he's like, if you want to find your place in the world and find God and answers, come with me to Jerusalem and we can find it for you. Because, you know, that's that was a big part for a lot of people. You know, that's a powerful thing about, you know, Christendom was – Go to the Holy Land to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. But also, it was a duty to do so. Yeah. Meanwhile, Michael Sheen's character shows up at night while Orlando Bloom's just kind of sulking and trying to figure out what to do. And he says, he whispers into his ear, he's like, you need to go there to fix your sins and maybe your wife can go to heaven. And that's what he says to this man who just lost his wife. And keep in mind, this is a little blacksmith shop, mm-hmm. like out in the open. He proceeds to push Michael Sheen into a fi- fire, take a fucking red hot sword that he was crafting, and stab this man. And the reason he does it, he notices the priest is wearing a cross necklace that his wife had on when he wrapped her for burial. Ooh. He basically grave robbed this dude's wife mm-hmm. and he reaches and grabs the cross it burns his hand on the inside and he rips it off and it's just like that's how you open it that's a good opener yeah that sounds like a pretty good um, opener <laughs> but it goes from that to him being shipwrecked and landing in lebanon which is above you know jerusalem yeah but it's but the lebanon it's the you know this is a very thing people kind of don't understand about geography there was the kingdom of saudi arabia there's the lebanon you mm-hmm. know these were giant you know areas yeah um and he meets two crusaders two islamic crusaders yeah and they're going to try to murder him and he fights one kills one and takes one the guy's like hey you won uh you killed my master you take me as a slave and he's like i don't have slaves i was one i would not bear one and he spares the guy's life and says, just take me to Jerusalem. Takes him all the way to fucking Jerusalem, turns him loose, gives him a horse, gives this Muslim guy a horse. And he looks him up and down and says, I won't forget this. I'll see you again. I'll see you on the next ride, but I'll see you again. He then progresses to, because his father dies, Liam Neeson dies. He becomes the Baron of Ebelin. And then... He meets the sister of Baldwin IV, the king of Jerusalem, and he's just like, hey. And this is kind of like a soap opera telling version of it. Mm-hmm. The guy she's going to marry is a piece of shit because her husband was killed in battle. Mm-hmm. And the guy she's supposed to marry is kind of an asshole. I'll tell you what. I'll have him murdered, and you can be her husband, and you'll have all the land and titles. All you gotta do is just marry her. And Orlando Bloom's just like, I'm trying to find Jesus. <laughs> and like he felt he goes to he goes to the mount, uh, he goes to the place where Christ died and feels nothing. He's gone. Like he's just gone. Yeah. Uh and he goes back to his his lands that he owns of Ebelin mm-hmm. and turns it into an oasis mm. in the desert. He's got a whole. He need, he's got a you know a village of people to take care of because he's the baron of that area. Yeah, but he still has to call up to the crusades, and then he has to go to battle. He defi- decides to defend the small kingdom of, which is a true story of a hysteria, 
Um, he decides to defend it. It's only him and a band of riders. That's it. And on the horizon is Salahuddin, the Muslim ruler yeah. of the Crusades. Now, that, that history part there, I do know. <laughs> that, that, no. He sends an emissary with 10,000 men to ride on that, st- on that city. And it's just Orlando Bloom's character and a handful of riders. And so they line up and get ready to charge to give them yeah. time for the people outside to get inside the castle or whatever. They get fucking smashed immediately. And before he thinks someone's going to cut his fucking head off, here comes that Muslim guy he saved. It turns out that Muslim guy was another baron. The guy he killed was his slave or was his you know right-hand guy because he spared him. He spared him and his men. And he's talking to him. He's just like, well, I have the army of Allah with me. I spared you, but I don't know how long that's going to last. But then on, and they're, you know, the play, they're talking on like a giant field, yeah. a giant desert field. And while he's talking, he's looking at a Landon Bloom and he looks over Landon Bloom's shoulder and out of what looks like a mirage are battle-hardened Christian soldiers coming over the horizon with a giant golden cross being led by King Baldwin himself. And out of the sunset, or the sun's going down, comes Salahuddin and the rest of his army. And they both meet in the middle of the field, you know, brave heart moment. Yeah. And it's just like, and there's a mutual respect for one another because mm-hmm. Salahuddin had lost the Baldwin when he was a young man. But now Baldwin is a sick man. He wears an iron mask. And that's a true story of Baldwin the Fourth. He wore a mask made of silver to cover the fact that he had leprosy. Because it would be terrifying to see his face. Yeah. And he speaks to Sahaladin in Arabic. He doesn't speak in English or French. He speaks to him in Arabic in his native language. And there's a fucking like understanding back and forth. He's like, we could all die here today. I don't give a shit. Salahuddin's like, I, yeah, we could play it out, see what happens. And Baldwin's like, Assalamu alaikum, salam, salam, brother. And they fucking part their ways. They go yeah. different ways. Let's go to the house. <laughs> and like Salahuddin offers, he's like, I'll send my best physicians to help you out. You're solid. Because at any time, Baldwin IV could have killed Salahuddin, mm-hmm. could have murdered him right immediately. But never did. Later on, they find the guy that kind of kickstarts this war, this guy who murders Saladin's sister. And giant battle at the end. Everything kind of works out. But what what is awesome about this movie, at the end, he makes it all the way back to France with the queen of Jerusalem with him, who's in disguise. And here comes down the mountain, trying to get to Jerusalem to retake Jerusalem for Christians. King Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, and that's like an Easter egg at the end. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit, he was there for a long time. And it's a fantastic movie. There's the unedited version. There's the edited version. Watch mm-hmm. the unedited. It's like three hundred three hours and a half long. Watch it like a show. I don't give a shit, but it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Sounds like it should have been cut into a show. Mm. My God, what a great movie. Mm-hmm. I'll be do one more than this. So uh, we'll set up for a part two later on. All right. Let's see. End on a good note. Well, if we're going to end on a good note, let's end on the gorgeous Gerard Butler with 300. 
Michael Fassbender. Yes. Speaking of gorgeous. Gerard mm. Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lena Hetty. Yes. Trying to make you know rest of us great again. <laughs> Just a fantastic group of people. Yes. Zack Snyder. Fucking perfect movie. Yes. It was like watching like like if a metal music video just had words (laughs) went into history class. (laughs) Yeah, and it's very Shakespearean. Like it really is. The lines are delivered a certain way. It's not like this like overdone bro movie, even though it is. But it's like it's not meant that way. Yeah. This is meant as a graphic novel interpretation of a brutal part of history. With the Persians and the Greeks. Yeah. They take a lot of fucking liberties. They do. Elephants. Elephants. The the Persians themselves. Rhinos. The rhinos. The uh, <laughs> what? Oh, that weird uh, scene where uh, the hunchback guy is walking through the yeah, thing yeah. where the thing with the goat heads playing and yeah, all and that stuff. Yeah, there's girls with the farmer and he's fucking like just shaking their ass. Yeah, it's very weird. But the part, the fact that Xerxes, the king of the king of Persians, is like eight feet tall. <laughs> Is another fucking weird one. Uh, if, I don't know if you got a chance. Did you watch uh, Rise of a? No, you you talked one? to me about it. So <laughs> I want to incorporate that in this. I want to incorporate that one in this conversation. Okay. But Leonidas is just this over the top Spartan mm-hmm. killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about the story of how Spartans are. Yeah. Uh, if you're deformed, you're thrown into the pit. Blah blah blah. Uh, you're made to fight to the death basically as children yeah until we get cold-blooded killers out of all of you and they're all super fucking jacked mm-hmm. like they're all doing like p90x and shit <laughs> like i love the true story of some of them where they're just like really working the, like michael fassbender and gerard butler are just working the fuck out every goddamn day yeah just to get that fucking physique drywall and wood chips yeah yeah just bringing gunpowder and fucking raw meat and just mm-hmm. getting vicious as shit yeah like betta fish mm-hmm. <laughs> but the lines of the movie are memorable the story everybody, everybody is fantastical. Knows, everybody knows this is Sparta, but my favorite is the one where uh, the Persians rolling up on them. The like the per, the Persian emissaries rolling up on them, and they're building that wall. Yeah, yep. <laughs> when he knocks the guy down and he says, uh, "Our arrows are blot out the sun," and Michael Fassbender says, "Then we'll fight in the shade." Yeah, that's always been my but, favorite line. But he's like, "You fucking heretic!" And like, <laughs> and then he sees the wall. Yeah, built, made of rocks and dead Persians. Yeah. And he's just like, with, what the with fuck? Your, with your help, your Persian, uh, your Persian spies supplied the mortar. Yeah. And they're just like, they look like masons. They just, yeah, they really do. They just like, like work, guys working out outside. Just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is perfect. What a day to be alive. Mm-hmm. And that is a fucking phenomenal fucking line. We'll just fight. In the, I mean, that was in the trailer. That was a fantastic. Yeah. Line. That's, that's that cut with a knife kind of thing. And it's yeah. just... So fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. I remember learning about that on the History Channel like two years before that movie ever came out. It was uh, it was back when the History Channel did the uh, simulated battles with like computer generated stuff. It looked like yeah. like a like a 2005 Windows game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like they talked about Leonidas holding holding this little little gate, mm-hmm. um, this one little area. If he can just hold it, it doesn't matter how many people you have. If we can hold this little area, we could fuck them all up. Yeah. And he was right. You know, that's used as battle tactics today. You know, if you can get somebody in a confined, get a large group in a confined space, numbers don't matter. Yeah. Um, and it worked out perfect for a good solid week. Like, like oh, the yeah. true story of Leonidas in his last 300 is brutal. 
mm-hmm. and they decimated a lot of his forces. And I love like the waves of characters that came. You know, you had his main, you know, troops and stuff come running in and getting their shit rocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all they had was shields and spears. Yep, and a hand and a sword on the side. And then they yell, break. And then they fucking scatter and yeah. start murdering the rest of them. Yep. And it is just wild as fuck. And the older guy that was like Leonidas' friend, mm-hmm. whose son was a, was a fighter. Oh, God. When his son gets gut, Ooh. and he just goes fucking off the rails and starts murdering the... Uh, the Untouchables, that's what they mm-hmm. called them. Uh, Xerxes Untouchables, you know, these yeah. guys, immortal fucking killers, you know. And they got the silver mask, the black uh, uh, K-Rod, which is like the robe that covers the yeah. face. And he takes on five of them at once, and they spear him, and he pulls it close just so he can stab one to death. And I'm just like, that's some God of War fucking shit right there. That yeah. is metal as fuck. And. I know we're not on our history podcast, but even though that's that's always in the back of my mind, that's one of the things I loved about this movie is they paid attention to so much of the actual historical detail with the movie, because the way they did the the way they did the phalanx with their shields mm-hmm. was actually historically accurate, and they show it how they set it up and everything, yeah. and the way they actually did their weaponry and everything was actually accurate was one of the things I liked, because you have such an outlandish thing with the elephants and the rhinos and mm. the the facial piercings and all that stuff that might as well be a fucking dragon in there somewhere yeah for real but then you have the actual historical attention to detail with the costuming and the, with the the with leonidas in them yeah and then the phalanx and the spears and because they actually i've watched so much of the behind the scenes on that movie oh my god ridiculous yeah they paid so much attention to trying to stay historically accurate with that part of it, which I think is really interesting because they read the, uh, the representations of how long Leonidas's spear was supposed to be. Yeah. And they made the comment. They were like, we took it to the prop guys. The prop guys are like, get the F out of here. We're not doing this. Cause it was supposed to be, I think three times longer than a man or some junk like yeah. that. And they're like, how are you going to throw this? Yeah. It's damn near impossible. Yeah. But, some of the other stuff I learned about it, you know, behind the scenes on this one, uh, the scene with Gerard Butler and Lena Headey, <laughs> where he accidentally breaks her nose during a sex scene because he fucking she she goes down and he goes up and he fucking headbutts her in the nose and yeah. breaks her goddamn nose. And I think that has got to be the, one of the funniest goddamn stories. Oh, that's got to be hilarious. Oh yeah, it's funny as fuck. Um, but we see like a lot of uh, interpretations of this um, mm-hmm. in the next movie that came out. Um, I forget what it's rise of something 300 rise of anyway uh, I went to a theater and saw this mm-hmm. and the main character is the reason the war is going on <laughs> he fucking uh, waited for Xerxes dad to retreat shot a fucking arrow randomly and killed Xerxes father in front of him like just boom like right there and that's what kicked it off <laughs> it's like this asshole started the war mm. and so as Le- like it ends like Leonidas gets killed. Yeah. At the end, all of his three hundred, and the Persians march on Athens. Yeah. Um, Which is historically accurate. Yeah. Uh, rise of an Empire. That's what. Yeah, it was I was getting ready to say. I think it's Rise of an Empire. And that it picks up where that movie leaves off. Uh-huh. Them marching over Leonidas's dead body. Yeah. And them destroying and sacking Athens. Yeah. But they haven't decided to go south. 
Exparta yet mm. because they're waiting for their naval fleet to show up, which is run by a woman, mm-hmm. uh, Agatharia, which is, a, I, think, I think that's her name. I'm not pronouncing it right. I know I'm not. But it's also the name of a plant here in North America. It's just, that's where the name comes from, her. Um, it's a very poisonous bush. <laughs> Makes sense. But anyway, it's played by Ava Green. Yay! Love her. She's Fantastic. awesome. Fantastic. Uh, the Lord's mistress. Um, <laughs> and she... Love she, her. Pity dreadful. She is from Greece. Oh. Uh-huh. But she's raised by Persians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main guy you see get killed in the beginning, uh, the black guy, the, the emissary mm-hmm. that gets killed, is the guy who raises her. Mm. And so she's very uh, pissed. No. And by the time the second movie starts. And uh, she has a navy. Mm-hmm. And so this, uh, the main guy who started this whole shit was a Athenian warrior. He wasn't like Leonidas. He wasn't like this elite warrior. But he goes to Leonidas' wife and says, I'm going to try to f- finish this. And the one-eyed guy who's doing the narration of the movie yeah. is still there. Yeah, because he so, makes it at the end of the movie. Yeah. he makes they send it, him back to tell the story. Because he lost one, an eye. Because <laughs> he's the one that's left with the army. And so him in the Athenian army, what's left of it, are going to take on the fleet. There is a scene where he goes to speak with this woman, mm-hmm. and it, they're just hate fucking each other <laughs> in a boat. <laughs> and like, there's two of those like, uh, was it untouchable guards? Yeah, untouchable soldiers on the boat. Immortal, immortals, and they're just kind of like standing there, and they hear all this banging and hollering and shit, and like screaming and all this, and they're just like looking at each other and it's like, nope, not going in there. Not getting fucking murdered either by an Athenian or this woman. Because <laughs> if I interrupt it, she's going to fucking murder me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so fucking hilarious. And he refuses the peace, blah, blah, blah. And like she refuses the same thing. And it's just like, this is the most toxic goddamn couple. <laughs> They're both like codependent <laughs> assholes that are just going to let so many people die. But it ends with them fighting the Persians off on the fucking sea. Mm-hmm. And there's a cool scene where Lenny Hetty comes out of a boat on a horse and comes right after that bitch. Cool. And starts murdering fucking uh, Persians left and fucking right. What a fun movie. What a fun movie. The second one I went to the theater and saw. The first one I had on DVD. Mm-hmm. I got that the same time I got a movie called The Reaping. Hey, another good movie. Oh, God. We're going to do a part two on our uh, cults and movies. Yes. That was a Christmas gift, the, the repeating in 300 on DVD. Yes. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, folks, this is another bonus episode, like I said, uh, for the Couch Rotatoes. And uh, we're not quite sure when this is going to come out, but we hope you enjoy it. Um, let us know in the Discord about anything else you want us to cover uh, with the Halloween season coming upon us uh, by the time we're recording this. Uh, check out History We Forgot with me and Christy. Check out Triple uh, C. And shout out to anybody on uh, listening to anything else on Something Good Network. Uh, th- these fucking guys with Mikey and Dante, uh, something good for you with Alex and Dave. Um, and let us know, like, be in touch in the discourse. Reach out to us anytime you want um, and ask us questions. We're more than happy to answer. Um, again, Christy, thank you for joining us on the Couch Potatoes. Um, y'all guys have a good one. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Something Good Network. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram, and check out the other great shows on the network. Link is in the episode description.